Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Melton Westwire football podcast, Matt. We 12 of 12, 12 teams. That's right. 12 previews, MWR.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Pocket Cast, whatever you use, we're there, find it. And bless the how we're doing. We've made it to the end of the preseason. <laughs> just a preseason. Just about, yeah. Then we start going a couple shows a week, not just the one. But we have UNLV coming up here, the very the 12th team based on, what, 90% Twitter votes, just because we kind of, at the end, we're like, oh, we're going to decide the last three or so. Well, no, we, we did one last Twitter poll, which decided the order of the last four, just to save oh, ourselves okay. time. That's kind of the point. Okay, same thing. So, yeah, the Twitter did decide. We just didn't do a four, three, and then two. Yeah. So, okay. You you did the polls. I, I forgot how we did the last couple, because we've been doing, what, Hawaii, New Mexico, I forget the other one, the fourth team we did in that group. San Jose State. San Jose State, yeah, defending champions, San Jose State Spartans. But now we're getting to UNLV Rebels, and is what are we gonna consider this year? Because last year was negative one year because it was, it was. I'll just I'll be nice. It was rough last year going zero and six under Marcus Arroyo's first season. Yeah, and and you know I think 
you, we've, I mean, obviously we've been talking about how the, the COVID pandemic influenced, you know, every team in its own way throughout the Mountain West. You know, Air Force had its turnbacks. Uh, you know, Fresno State had a couple of games canceled. You know, Boise State was dealing with that and injuries, you know, and things like that. Um, New Mexico, Rotobos. Don't forget and, the Rotobos. Yeah. And New, yeah, New Mexico had to play most of their season in Vegas, set up shop out in the desert. And UNLV is definitely in that camp. Like you mentioned, you know, the, the whole year zero idea, which, you know, for, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, I believe it was coined by Bill Connolly, um, over at ESPN, where the idea is like when, when somebody is coming into a head coaching role and they're more or less starting from scratch, um, which, you know, could have, you know, coming in the last year could have you know, been applied to a few different guys within the conference. But nobody had a steeper hill to climb than Marcus Arroyo because, you know, after the Rebels came so close to like finally breaking through and making another bowl, Tony Sanchez, you know, they never quite got over the hump. And then, oh, by the way, there's a pandemic that they're having to deal with while they're also sort of like turning the page and starting over on both sides of the ball. So they sort of ended up in this situation where you saw it with a handful of other teams across the country as well. Um, and then kind of like doing research and kind of examining the college football landscape as a whole, you know, you saw something similar happen with like Northern Illinois, um, which we talked about mm-hmm. a little bit as part of, in one of the last team preview podcasts, I believe they're face off with Wyoming. Right. Um, but the Huskies went winless and they were one of the youngest teams anywhere in the country last year. Um, and they took their lumps, but they look like they're in a better position to start kind of turning things around in year two under or year three or under Thomas Hammock out there. Um, you know, Temple, same kind of thing. You know, they had a huge number of opt-outs and a huge number of injuries, and they only won one game last year. Um, so when I think about UNLV, that's sort of the lens that I take where, you know, you can look at the numbers in the same way that we typically do when we look back at 2020. And, you know, long story short, it wasn't pretty by both the, uh, the traditional and the, you know, advanced metrics. And so it's sort of tempting to just kind of throw the whole thing out and be like, okay, well, now we're getting into like an actual year zero situation. But, you know, mm-hmm. they, but by also they have the benefit of like a number of super seniors coming back and things like that. But, you know, rather than kind of calling 2020 a wash, I think it's important to sort of look at, okay, well, what actually went well for you and all the last year? And when you, when you squint, and you sort of look past like the end result of each game where, you know, I don't think they lost a single game by less than 13 points. Nope. That's not great. But like when you look at what they actually did, you know, they have the conferences freshman of the year. They proved that they could develop a little bit of a pass rush. You know, the offensive line, once it finally got, you know, I think the guys that they wanted in there, you know, closer to season's end, finally had like a little bit of attraction. You know, they kept a starting quarterback, you know, healthy and under center, I think for the first time and since like the nineties or something like but, that. I forget the, I forget the exact that, number, but Matt Gilliam started all, he started all six games. And I think that was the first time since like 95 or 96 that that had happened at UNLV, which seems unfathomable, right? There's also, also, I found one something else like from Athlon I was reading here that they'll have this year. I'm guessing, yeah, because Max Williams not gone. They're 13th different starting quarterback in 18 seasons. Yeah. So, but the QB, you meant like we'll get to that in a minute, but they also played three quarterbacks this past year, mm-hmm. at least. Well, actually five total. 
but three saw before like Justin Rogers got injured. Doug Brumfield had to come in for the one game. So it's not like they were – it was better than most years, but still wasn't ideal. But then still yeah. having to out there multiple QBs. So, so I guess all that I guess is to say that while they are not without their 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 issues, their questions that they're going to have to solve throughout the rest of fall camp, which you know as we record on August fifteenth is ongoing right now, you could make a case if you're feeling optimistic that this is a team with more capacity as a surprise, just by virtue of having a normal off season to figure things out and to actually like roll things out, like get the systems into place on both sides of the ball. And things like that. But, well, they have Charles Williams, who's really good running the ball, who's back. Mm-hmm. They, like you mentioned, we'll get to all these individual positions later, but Kyle Williams is a really good receiver. You have Tyler Collins, who's a solid receiver. He's going to be a junior or whatever you're going to call him this year. They mm-hmm. do have a couple guys, and majority of their defensive starters, despite it being not great till late and the dip, scoring difference wasn't ideal, they bring back the majority of those starters. I, yeah, like, they're, they in have, a position, they're in a position to grow and figure things out. And at the same time, you know, by virtue of the fact that they brought in some really interesting reinforcements, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like I said, to 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 maybe sneak up and surprise people, because you know, as 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 rough as the Tony Sanchez era was at the end, I mean, let's not forget that that team could like steal a win from from you know the occasional team that you wouldn't expect them to. You know, I think well, of like, the, the 2017 win that they had against Fresno State, for example. Or, you know, the, the 2018 win over San Diego State, things like that. They could be in a position where they could start doing that again as soon as this fall. I think that's sort of what I'm talking about overall. Uh, we'll see. You're a bit more optimistic than I am as usual, I guess. But you are right when you look closely about what, what I kind of rolled through, who they have coming in and returning. And also, it should be noted, despite their season honestly not being good last year by margin of defeat, in the winless, they had the third best recruiting class in the Mountain West. Yeah. Which is crazy to consider. And it wasn't them just piling in 30 recruits. They had 21 commits, which is about, about average because mm-hmm. San Diego State had 26, was number one. Boise 19, Fresno behind them 23, 21, 20. Nobody, it wasn't like they had 12, like 22 commits or 25 or 28 commits to be higher. Their average per was would have been put them, let's see, fourth, just behind Fresno, but by like by point four in the mm-hmm. 24-second average. So they're right there. They're actually ahead of the average of San Diego State, who had the number one class overall. So mm-hmm. actually, they're sorry, I mistake. They would have been third overall regardless in total points. And wherever the ranking is in average reading per recruit, they'd have been number three overall in both categories. So yeah. And, it, and it's the second year in a row that they've been in the top three. Yeah, I didn't realize that. But that's hopefully that's eventually has got to yield something, you know what I mean? Yeah, so they're building something, and now in 2021 is the first the first time that we're really going to get a, a more accurate sense of okay, where exactly, or rather, how far exactly has this team progressed with like just a regular off season to prepare? Uh, we'll see. Let's just uh, it's I'm still on the they still need to be close, but they, you're right, they're building to get there. But I still don't think this is the year they're going to go out and win like be bowl eligible or anything or be well above that. But I think that my main goal for the mission, I'll get to it now. It's like we said before, and kind of with San Jose State, you, a couple years ago, you see them slowly getting more wins. This past year wasn't close, not good, a million reasons. I don't think they would have been that great even if it was a regular season last year, like a typical, probably mm-hmm. a little better, but so would everybody else. Probably. No, I mean, I mean, it would have been a year zero situation. It was just yeah. like with the pandemic, it sort of like obscures like, you know, 
like they were it was rough like let's let's <laughs> let's be clear about that be nice it, yeah. it's just you know one of those things where it was like a different kind of rough than you would typically see throughout a, a normal season and so I yeah. think you sort of have to take that into consideration where like yeah it was rough but they also didn't get to prepare in the same way that teams usually do I think this year it's going to be more of let's be more competitive but the wind still may not be there that's yeah. where I'm leading. and exactly. that's fine that's as long as there's improvement. That's what I want to see. So let's get to a quarterback situation, which is probably one of the very few positions that's still up in the air. Mm-hmm. Like we know the two deep receiver, essentially the offensive line. We basically know who's mostly coming back. They have a couple, one, like two. I think they have what, two returning, or excuse me, two replacement starters. They need to figure out. Yeah, running back Charles Williams is one of the best in the conference. Much receivers, but QB. I kind of thought it'd be because last year it looked like to be the TC transfer Justin Rogers, but he got hurt right away. And so it went to Max Gillian, who played, like we mentioned, majority of the games. Rodgers came in, did okay in the one game. He had, he led the team in passing. Um, I wish I had it here. What was it? Uh, yeah, when he played San Jose State, he actually had 162 yards passing. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But he got hurt. Gillian did okay, got sacked too many times. But now it's going to be Rodgers, Brumfield. And- He's not going to play, Matt. There's no – He's not going to be in the conversation at all, I don't think. No. No, he's not even practicing. He has a thumb. Right yeah. So that's the funny thing. It's, like, it's, there's, I, saw, I was looking around, like, it was about a week and a half ago, his eligibility was, or I guess not eligibility, but the status to participate. So I guess it's an eligibility thing coming from Miami was up in the air. He's from Vegas. He, where was he before Miami? Isn't this his third school? Uh, yeah, before that, he was at Ohio State. I say, okay. So. Clearly talent, but here's what very interesting, very interesting about it. This is Coach Royal because he has the thumb thing. It goes, he hasn't, first off, this is him quoting, not me using bad English as Coach Royal, not knowing good English. He hasn't told me nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's done a good job in drills, trying to get himself ready. It's good to see him engaged, but like, why, that thing right there, he hasn't told me anything. Like, how is that communication so poor between a quarterback and your coach? Even if he's like, maybe you're probably your third string quarterback. That's kind of weird to have that be. I mean, I don't think he's even going to be a third-string quarterback this fall. <laughs> okay. But my point being, he's a new guy in town, and he's getting out there to do stuff. He doesn't – doesn't the coach doesn't know anything about it? Or the, This doesn't mean the coach doesn't know anything about it. It tells me two things. Coach Arroyo is like, okay, cool, we have this guy on the roster, more depth. But it also shows you Martel's not telling the coach, hey, something's going on. Even mm-hmm. though they know it's a hand injury. But that comment says a lot where Coach Arroyo doesn't – seemingly think he's going to be in the running for the job. And also Martell's not communicating, hey, here's what's going on. Well, he shouldn't be in the running for the job. I know, but you would think... This is is not a Marcus McMarion situation that we're talking about, where he could come in in six weeks and take the job and run with it. Because because I think that there are are legitimately better options who have been around for the last couple of years and who have learned the system and have been competing in the interim. Um. You know, you mentioned Rogers and, and Doug Brumfeld as being kind of the two front runners, and I think it sort of does a disservice to those two guys by giving so much attention to Martell. Like I, I put it out there on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and I sort of stand by it. Like if Martell sees the field as a quarterback this year, I think it's because something has gone terribly wrong. <laughs> I, I, I probably bring it up because his name's been out there just because of the two schools. But this also what that quote he mentions kind of falls into what you're saying. If Arroyo doesn't seem to engage in what Martel's doing besides him. Well, no, he sees him out there doing stuff, but kind of on his own because he has a hurt thumb. Mm-hmm. But you would think if, you, if you're a new guy and you're a quarterback where 
it's not settled where the job is open. You may or not may or may not be in the running. It seems to be mm-hmm. on more, more toward no. You would want to give updates on the code. Like you want to have some sort of up communication with them. I'm not saying it's going to help you win the job, but yeah. like oh yeah, he told me his thumbs being weird. It's he's out there doing what he can, but he says he told me nothing. It's like. It's also he's coming as a walk on. He's not even a scholarship player too. There's that as well. Mm-hmm. It's just it's kind of reinforced what you said. He's getting too much hype because of where he's from and coming back to Vegas and everything. But that line right there to bring up shows like he has basically no chance to play or start mm-hmm. just because the communication is big. Like if he is a guy who wanted to play and he was sure like oh yeah we have updates here here and here. He's looking to come back in one week or miss two practices or. He'll be in helmets and pads in probably three days or something. None of that. It's just, oh, he's out there doing drills, looking fine, but he hasn't told me anything of what his status is. So I, I mean, look at Twitter. I thought it'd be Justin Rogers, but a lot of guys down there, because we're not at practice and seeing a ton, probably because they're closed and we're just not there. But Brumfield seems to be the guy that probably is going to be a starter, even though I like Justin Rogers, Justin Rogers from what we saw last year, but guys in Vegas are thinking it's probably going to be Brumfield to be QB1 when they take on uh, Eastern Washington. So if if the choice were up to you, like if you were in the coach's room breaking down film and and, and choosing between Brumfield and Rodgers, who would you choose? I kind of thought like what Rodgers did last year a bit more. Because when you look at the two games that actually played versus San Jose State and Wyoming, they're two very different teams. Just because Wyoming's defense, well, they're both good, but Wyoming's defense, I'd give them an edge. I think Brumfield played better against a better team overall. Like, I mean, not Brunfield, sorry, Rodgers. When he had 100-plus yards, led the team in passing for San Jose State. Okay, 100 yards isn't ideal, but kind of what we've seen and what he's done, I kind of lean toward Rodgers a bit. He had no interceptions in the game, 109 yards per attempt, 12-18. Not yardage wasn't there, but threw it reasonably well. And I know Wyoming's a more difficult team, but Brunfield, I don't think he didn't even crack 100 yards. Well, I mean, he also didn't see that much playing time either. Yeah, you know, he I, basically more, he saw he saw a little bit of playing time kind of in the in the late third or four, throughout the fourth quarter against Wyoming and then in the finale against Hawaii. So, yeah. But I went back I went back and I watched both of them as much as I could on like you know YouTube highlights and stuff like that. And honestly, Brumfield is a little more interesting to me just because you know I wonder like given you know the 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 right offensive system given the right personnel around him whether he can develop into the kind of well-rounded quarterback that everybody wanted Armani Rodgers to be and just could never be as and and by, and by that I'm thinking primarily about like his ability to throw the football because accuracy was always you know Rodgers' uh, Achilles heel but you know when Brumfield had time to throw especially in that Wyoming game you know, he showed that he could make you know you know the the short passes intermediate passes he showed that he could sort of like you know, make plays within the pocket. And of course he scored a rushing touchdown in that game kind of late and maybe granted, you know, the, the Cowboys were willing to kind of sit back and let them, you know, take yards underneath and things like that. But to me, that sort of speaks to like, you know, his ability to potentially be the kind of quarterback that really nobody else in the conference has. And I think of that, like, you know, he's, he's six foot five and 225 pounds you know, and how many other quarterbacks in the conference like have that kind of physical imposition while also being able to run? Like, obviously Carson Strong is going to, you know, he's he's an NFL draft pick, um, but you know he doesn't run quite the same way that Brunfeld does. Neither does Nick Starkle. Neither does Hank Bachmeyer. And so, I just sort of wonder, like, you know, given 
an entire offseason to win the job and grow with the personnel around him, which you know, we'll talk more about those guys in a minute. Mm-hmm. Whether that is the best move for this program in the long run, whether, you know, for, for Arroyo's, you know, willingness to kind of let him learn on the job mm-hmm. or something like that. That's what this year is going to be. The only other quarterback I can mention real quick, it's still TBD, Sean Chambers. He has the size, 6'3", 225. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to allow him to throw the ball, but we don't know yet. So that's kind yeah. of a, that's like the only guy that could do both. We've seen him run very well, passing still up in the air. But you're not wrong at Brumfield. I just kind of thought Rodgers, but the running ability and the size helps a lot because think of it this too with Charles Williams. Like if you do some, it's a little bit, some option type plays, like the read option type things, that would, if he's big enough to run and get a few yards here and there, that could help them on a toss, on a pitch, an extended handoff to, okay, he'll go off the tackle to hand the ball off or, or, or Brumfield keep and go between the guard or something or go left of the, inside of the tackle mm-hmm. instead of outside. Like that could be some stuff too because Williams is a bruiser as well and he'll get <clears throat> his yards out there. And yeah, just, and I mean, uh, and it's not to say like if if they choose to go with Justin Rogers, I don't think it's necessarily a bad pick. You know, he was he was a four star recruit when he came out of high school to TCU. You know, the knock on him has just been staying healthy, which was true at TCU and was you know mostly true last yeah. year. Because you you mentioned like he played well, like he completed fourteen of twenty two passes. That's a sixty three percent completion rate. That's sort of what we talk about when we talk about quarterbacks you know performing well in the Mountain West. Um, and he averaged just, you know, both of them averaged a, uh, a little over seven yards in attempt. So neither of them were really lacking that in that regard. But again, you know, if, if I'm looking for like the, the option to grow with versus, you know, Rogers, who, at least in my opinion, seems a little more high risk, high reward just because, you know, there's sort of like the, uh, the ability to stay healthy, which is sort of a, a yellow flag, if not a red flag, in my opinion. No, that makes sense. It's the injury thing. He didn't play much. It's I, I here's the thing I don't think they can really go wrong with both guys, but it's like who's going to be there longer? Who's the younger guy a little bit to see who can play a touch more? Like because well, that's, 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 like, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. he's a technically a freshman still, mm-hmm. and so if it's close, go with him. And they, or maybe they split time versus Eastern Washington just to see what you have because that's a team they sh- that's a pretty good FCS team, but the team they should beat. But that could be something where, okay, you get the first half or you get quarter one and three, you get two and four, kind of mm-hmm. extend the competition if nothing if nothing is named before then. Because, like, during the scrimmage at Allegiant Field, it's close scrimmage. You don't know what's going on. This the defense did better, which kind of makes sense overall. But I I, I, I think – I mentioned Rodgers, but you make some good points about Rumfield, especially I forgot the age factor. But if it's close, go with him and – Make the offense a bit different, but also I'm intrigued by Rodgers because, like we said, when he played, he played pretty well mm-hmm. in those games. So I don't have a – I just guess. I'll just guess with Rodgers still New York Brumfield, but probably Brumfield makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the temptation is to sort of write both guys off just because it, you know you think it's UNLV, like when are they ever going to turn the corner? But I think this sort of does a but, disservice yeah. to like just how much promise both those guys have and and Arroyo's ability to sort of figure things out. Like I said, just by virtue of having a normal offseason to figure these things out. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, it's going to help a lot. So that, this is probably the big – we'll move out of position in a second. But this is the biggest question mark because we don't know who it is. But I think, like I mentioned, whoever it's going to be, it's like they're not going to lead this team to seven, six, even six wins. Mm-hmm. I. It's going to be – well, there's question marks. They're fine. It's just because you don't know who it is. Yeah. I think whoever I mean, it's think... going to be is going to be fine. Or whatever. They're not going to be fine relative term, and I don't think they're having a winning record. But mm-hmm. I think either have the same about the same amount of chance to lead them to victory. Yeah, and I think you know the, what we talked about with the, the 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 quarterback situation and their their ability to have options in deciding this is sort of like one of the the underlying narratives of this entire side of the ball is like, yeah, we know what we know who their stars are, but they also have depth in a way that they didn't have last year. Um, by virtue of like inexperience and injuries, they got nicked up and things like that. So, you know, you mentioned Charles Williams as being kind of like the lead back. And I think there's, there's every expectation that he'll get back to sort of like the, the form that we expected to see from him, you know, from 2018 to 2019 and stuff like that. But, you know, he's in a situation where they may not necessarily need him to be the bell cow anymore because you know, Courtney Reese is still around. Chad Magier is still around. They brought in the Oregon transfer, Javon Wilson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if Arroyo wants to go into more of like a committee situation, I think they have the personnel to do it. And and also Brumfield and Rogers, like whoever ends up in their center, both of them are, are plus runners in their own right. And so now all of a sudden, you know, even if they do have some hiccups when it comes to like their passing game, you know, you know, Brumfield has sort of a learning curve and and making reads and stuff like that. You know, at least they know he can move with his legs. Um, you know, they know Williams could be like a twenty carries per game kind of kind of running Easily. guy. Um, Easily. And and Courtney Reese, you know, he only had nine carries, but he averaged almost six yards a carry. That's not nothing. And so all of a sudden, like they're definitely a lot deeper at the running back position than they were this time a year ago. And Javon Williams is a, I guess technically still a freshman, retro freshman, yeah. however you want to consider that. So he's a young guy. If he comes in from what he did, it goes to Oregon. You know, they're with running backs, and it's just more depth. than this, I, think, I don't know if it'll be a committee, but Williams is still gonna get the bulk of the carries mm-hmm. because that's what it should be. Because he, within the Mountain West, could be there's so many good running backs, one of the best running backs in the conference, and so. They give him most of the carries. Wilson gets a few. Other guys get a few. He may not need to have 25, but he goes to 18. It could be, like, not that it'll happen, but, like, remember Jeremy McNichols, fourth quarter, giving the ball at Boise State. He bulldozes everybody. This could be a thing if games are close or if they have a lead and he's not having to – and he has 10 carries going into the fourth quarter. He goes out with eight more. It's still fewer carries he's typically getting. 
and he'll be more mm-hmm. fresh. So that could be a benefit if UNLV is fortunate enough to be in position where they need him to run the ball more, whether they're up or it's close, they know they can rely on him and take over a tired defense. So that's mm-hmm. always a good positive with depth, and they have some decent guys behind him. It's just Williams is going to be the main guy, and it's not close. And but, I, and I think, but I think if there's, if, one ex- if there's one exception to that, it's the offensive line, which you brought up a minute ago, because that was a unit that sort of, you know, had it had a lot of adventures last year, for for better or worse, um, and to be kind of put it mildly, um, you know, only two guys ended up starting all six games last year. One of them, Justice Olawasan, is gone. He transferred to Miami. They do still bring Julio Garcia back. He's one of the better interior linemen in the conference, and that's a pretty solid starting point. And they did get, you know, a couple of other pieces. You know, Leif Bautanu at center started four games last year. Uh, you know, Tiger Shanks, who was a freshman, got to start the last two games at left tackle. So it's not like they're starting from scratch. But at the same time, you know, like filling those holes in particular is going to be really important considering, you know, I would say you know, Charles Williams definitely didn't get as many explosive plays as we would have expected him to last fall. And it's sort of in spite of the fact like, you know, they were above average actually by things like opportunity rate. They were 40th overall uh, in the country, you know, in the by power success rates or the short yardage situations, they were in the top, you know, top 40, you know, they were 55th in terms of stuff rate. But like when it came to protecting the quarterback, which you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, you know, that 12.1% sack rate has got to improve because that was 120 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I look at that unit in particular and I think, okay, well, you know, they seem set for the most part in the interior with Valtanu and Garcia. But there's going to be a lot riding on, you know, guys who either didn't see a ton of playing time last year, you know, like a guy like Clayton Bradley, uh, or, you know, incoming transfers like, you know, Davian McDaniel came in from Charleston Southern. Um, or even like, you know, guys who've come in through the recruiting, you know, the old fashioned recruiting, like, you know, Amani Trigg Wright, for example, <laughs> could start the on the interior. Um, you know, Shanks is getting, gonna get an entire year to protect whoever's blindside, you know, ends up winning that job. Um, there's, there's a, it's sort of a, I'm trying to think of the right analogy for it. Because I, I used high risk, high reward a few minutes ago, and I don't necessarily want to just throw that out there again, but well, it's just they have same size. They have huge oh, yeah. signs of only three pound linemen, which even okay, even if you're not, you know, let's just say the talent's not equal to other teams. If you're just a big, giant, massive guy taking up space, that goes a long way as well. And mm-hmm. so you mentioned all the guys who started last year, end of the season, a couple guys get a couple of starts here and there, but the increase in size, it's huge. Like not every mountain of school could have an offensive line that average 300 pounds a player. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, or they're very close to it, I believe that's. A huge deal. It's like that'll help, like goal in situations, short yardage, just knock over the defensive end or the other nose tackle. Not many teams yeah. bring a massive nose tackle, and so that size, yeah, is and gonna a couple help of their well. a couple of their top recruits in the 2021 class were were big big time offensive line and men as well, like Anthony Rosas. You know, could potentially see it sometime while also kind of playing toward redshirt, for example, or uh, or Anton Amabel Ambel could be another one. Um, so again, it's sort of like, you know, they are maybe a little less proven across the board than they are at other positions. And, and maybe by extension, they're sort of like the biggest question mark. But again, you know, given a normal offseason, this, this is a, a unit that could improve by a lot more than, than a lot of people from the outside would expect. I think it's going to regard, just be, not because it has to, but 
was sort of the case because the sack rate was at 20 sacks allowed to um, the starting quarterback, to Max Julian last it year. It wasn't great, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't great. So it's going to be better, even if it, it's stupid I mentioned all the time, just get 5%, 10% better. That'll go a long way because if you give up fewer sacks, it's just, it's, it's just, it can just, again, dumb, dumb cliche, it's a game of inches, but if you have five or six fewer sacks overall, one or two, once, half a sack less a game, that could be anywhere from two to 10 yards you're not giving up. That could mean, okay, we're going to run on third and two instead of pass on 39. Like it could lead to a lot of small different things. A butterfly effect where if you have a couple of, just a couple plays here or there can make a big difference in this, in this team and success. Not that it'll, Wins or losses overall, like multiple, but it could change a lot in the game if you have just like two less sacks a game or something allowed. To your point, you know, their average third down last year was essentially a third and eight. Ugh, that's brutal. Which is, which is, you know, that's when you're behind the eight ball like that and opponents are expecting you to pass and you struggle in doing so, then, <laughs> you know, again, but that's where, you know, having more success and, and being able to kind of get rid of the ball. In, in an efficient manner on those early downs can help them avoid that this time around. Yeah. That's, I think the line will be okay, but like out of the concerns we have, like I mentioned quarterbacks just because we don't know who it is, but it'll probably be like a, like the, whoever's going to get the wins. It's, I don't think it's, whoever's a quarterback, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference or wins or losses, but the offensive line doesn't get any, get it, does not get any better. That's going to be an issue for this team because yeah. you're right. If you're, if you're second and long, third and long, your best weapon, Charles Williams, is, is hampered and sidelined. You can't use mm-hmm. him as often. You're not going to run on third and eight, right? But on third and four, there's a chance you could do play action. You could do you could do a draw play. You could do a lot of different combinations of just plays in general. If it's if it's not a given, you're going to be passing. Mm-hmm. And and I think if there's another potential red flag on this offense, to kind of switch to we're talking about the wide receivers and tight ends. They need to find secondary options because, you know, they do have Kyle Williams and I think that he's definitely a keeper. You know, the aforementioned freshman of the year we talked about at the, at the onset, you know, 35 catches, 426 yards, two touchdowns. Given the circumstances, that's pretty good. And I think, you know, he's definitely got one spot wrapped up. You mentioned Tylee Collins, but you know, where has Tiger Lee Collins been for the last couple of years? Because, you know, since he sort of had his his breakout in twenty eighteen, he has more or less been a non factor in the couple of years since. Like he had fifteen catches in mm-hmm. twenty nineteen, had twelve catches a year ago. That is less catches combined than he had in that twenty eighteen season. And so I you know, he had one foot out the door in the transfer portal, he decided to come back. You know, is he going to lock down a starting role? You know, is Zyle Griffin going to do it? Because, you know, we, he, I believe, started a couple games down the stretch last year, you know, flashed some kind of, you know, big play capability. But again, you know, he only had six receptions overall. Um, yeah. you know, Steve, Steve Jenkins, who you remember from the Nevada game a couple years ago, helped lead that upset. So again, like it's, they've got options there. Um, and then, and we didn't even mention, you know, Jordan Jakes, the, uh, the, the incoming transfer from Indiana, you know, he could mm-hmm. play a, a big red zone target type role, um, to replace, you know, Randall Grimes, who was, you know, declared ineligible last year and then transferred. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, if there's another thing that could potentially hold them back, it sort of gets to one of the questions that we got, uh, about this Rebels team. You know, do we think Kyle Williams is going to be a thousand yard receiver? I want to say yes. But I'm a little dubious about, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to find a second or third option 
to keep opponents from just focusing on him. And so I think he's going to have a very solid season. You know, he's probably going to average somewhere around 12, 12 and a half to 13 yards a catch, you know, maybe have five or six touchdowns. Right now, I'd probably peg him closer to like 800 yards than 1,000 yards. Well, you'd hope so, just because, you know what I mean? Like, that's a... Uh... Well, no, not hope so, 800, sorry, my mistake. You'd hope you have 1,000 yards, not 800, my, my bad there. But Yeah, I mean, I'm just sort of in like a wait-and-see mode to see how the rest of that wide receiver core shakes out. And I think that's also true of like the tight end situation, because yeah, they do have Noah Bean and Giovanni Faulo coming back. You know, they also yeah. have a, a big... You know, freshman target Kalea Balunge, who could, you know, force his way into a role. So again, they've got options there. It's just a matter of kind of seeing how, especially with the tight ends, because, you know, both of those guys, Bean and Fawolo, flashed a little bit of big play capability a couple of years ago, but they were sort of, again, they were sort of MIA last year as well for long stretches. And, and maybe whether that was a consequence of just, you know, preparing for the pandemic and stuff like that. You know, I think. Yeah, I feel better about their chances to have a little bit of bounce back, but I, you know, I want to see it before I have confidence in kind of how that, whatever cascade effect you want to talk about for like the rest of the the pass catchers. So, so with that, does it matter like for you for who the quarterback is, or is this mostly them not doing their job of not being good enough? I mean, I think it will depend in part, you know, because I think if they can identify a quarterback and that quarterback is able to stay healthy, then that's going to make a tremendous difference. Because, you know, all due respect to Max Gilliam, I think Rodgers and Brumfield both have the potential to be better than he was last year. So how about, so, let's get back to my point. Because Max Gilliam was a QB when Tyler Collins is actually pretty good. Mm He was going to 2018. And so it's kind of weird that he didn't come back to increase those numbers at all. I, I just wondering, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to think out loud, like how to get these guys better. Is it the quarterback? Is it the line giving them more chances to throw the ball? Because if you're sacked 20-something times, that could be like 15 passing plays that never happened to mm-hmm. certain guys. So I'm trying to figure out how, like, is it a talent thing? Is it just a quarterback? Was Jeff Fitzgerald not helping out? It's more than just, I think it's more than just receivers not being talented. But I think it still falls on them to be, like, Kyle Williams, number one guy, to do what he could do. Like, go from 35 catches to... Like, can he double that amount of catches in 12 games instead of six? Maybe. So mm-hmm. you'd be, like you mentioned, 85 yard, 85 catch guy for 800 yards, or they need a deep throw of a thousand yards because they don't have a deep throw at all. So that's also good. They don't throw the ball downfield at all, which is terrible and not good when you, which it should be there because you have good running attack by running, running, running. That should help open things over the top, which it's also something they don't have. Yeah, and and you know it's important to remember this. It wasn't that long ago that UNLV had a above average offense in the conference. You know, like it wasn't it wasn't a perfect offense that wasn't that you know that had its flaws. But back in 2017, you know they were third in the conference on a per play basis. Yeah, and and so I think you know that is sort of like your goal, if not for this year, then maybe for two years from now, is to kind of get back to that level of, you know, uh, a team that's more than willing to kind of line up and punch you in the mouth, because I think on paper, maybe that's what they do best, you know, with two potentially mobile quarterbacks in all conference caliber running back, plus, you know, you know, capable contributors behind him, plus sort of a, a, a at least one good quality wide receiver and a bunch of question marks around him. Maybe that's the, yeah. rest, the direction they decided to go in for 2021. I don't know. It's uh maybe. It's just, I mean, this team just, just got 
conversation teams are more concerned about the receivers than anywhere else on this team. Is that mm-hmm. how you feel? I like Williams. I like Griffin yeah. too. But I, but I'm, but I'm interested to see like how much more we see of him. You know, if he can win a starting job over someone like Collins or Jenkins or someone like that. That's what I'm kind of hoping to see because, you know, Griffin's one of those kind of, you know, periphery guys where, you know, we saw like, you know, with Williams and a couple of guys on defense, which we'll talk about in a moment, like they identified kind of their core contributors that they can build with. And so it sort of remains to be seen whether Griffin can be part of that group. I'm optimistic, but I'm sort of, play, I'm sort of in a wait and see mode about it. Okay. All right. Anything else in the offense when you get to, or is that time for the defensive side? No, we could talk about the defense because, okay. and that's another defense. thing. That's another thing because, <laughs> you know, if, if you want to talk about regression to the mean, here's a prime candidate for, for that right here. Because again, by, by the traditional metrics, by the, you know, the advanced metrics, not necessarily pretty, you know, on a per drive basis, they were 123rd nationally in, in points allowed per drive. Um, they got pushed around way too often up front, you know, 124th in line yards per carry allowed, you know, in the triple digits by opportunity rate, by stuff rate. But again, not without its, not without promise, not without guys who they sort of unearthed and, and found, you know, things that they, they can sort of build off of. And so that, that's where that next step becomes. It's like, okay, they have their stars. They have kind of their, the tip of their proverbial spear. You know, now they've got to find guys who can contribute around them. No, that's true. Like the defense, like they bring all 11 starters back. Which we need to mention too. Everybody's coming back, I believe. Is that right? I I believe it was ten of eleven, if I'm not ten. Saying. Okay. Well, majority of the guys. Maybe I'm looking. Majority, at yeah. Okay, ten, eleven, but like not to harp on the bad, but thirty points. So the Gumich recruiting class, they bring guys in, transfer guys coming in, like they bring in a Connor Murphy from USC to come in to help on the defensive line. Um, like uh, Jacoby Woodman, we'll get to the linebacker. He's really good. Um. Guys like Kyle and Wilbur from Arizona coming in, um, like Adam Plant hanging around. So they have talent despite them not showing up in the scoreboard. It's more of the defense. Like, oh, here's the points, but we still made some plays here and there. But mm-hmm. it's, you got to make the points, but also not give up, make give up so many points. Yeah. And so the I think the running game could be good, but I don't know. They have all these like transfers mixing guys. They have freshmen. I think depth was bringing it. It was kind of a big deal with what they had. Like I mentioned, the guy from USC. Oh yeah. And so that's he just having depth in a defense that has talent returning, or it's like what well, we say it a bunch of times. Just because you have talent coming back doesn't mean it's good. But I think combined with new guys, transfers, freshmen, an actual spring ball, it's going to be better because playing six games is better than what CSU played. Who played four? Four? Excuse me. So I think that's. An area where somebody even asked one of the questions, like rings the defensive line against the rest of Mountain West. It's not going to be the best, but it's going to be average, pretty pretty average at least. I think it'll be better than last year because they're pretty it, good at stopping the run. It should be better, but I think you know, so. one of the one of the things that's going to definitely answer that question is, you know, the fact that they're moving Winman from defensive end to more of like a linebacker position, uh, and I believe yeah. they're also doing the same thing with Adam Plant. And so, you know, you mentioned Connor Murphy, the USC transfer. He's a, he's a gigantic dude. You know, he's a six, eight, seven, 280 pound defensive end. You you can't teach that kind of size in the trenches. And so like that makes for like a really interesting addition. But, you know, they still have Kolo Wasike, who's, you know, been clogging running lanes for the last, you know, two, three years now. 
you know, he's he's solid, if not necessarily a, a all conference type performer, but you know he's a he's a contributor. Um, you know, Tavis Malaki has got a lot more playing time at the end of the year. He, he's probably set for that other defensive tackle, and so I think it just depends on like you know if they're going to move their most disruptive guys further away from the line of scrimmage, then how are the guys who are replacing them at the line of scrimmage going to hold up? Yeah, you know, because. Well, they- they're terrible at stopping the run, so I don't know. They're six and a half, six point three yards per carry. Uh, so I think that's that's State. sort of like the starting point for like if because if they get pushed around again, then it could be another long season. Yeah. And but if they can turn it around, then it becomes okay. Well, who's going to lead that charge? Is it going to be the guys you know, who were around last year, like uh, like you know like Malakius and, and Uasake, or is it going to be you know new blood like you know like Murphy or like you know Nick Demetrius, who was their number one recruit uh, recruit from the twenty twenty one class? You know, edge defender who could potentially see some playing time. You know, he's he's a, yeah. another candidate to see four games and then grab a red shirt at the end of the year. But maybe he plays his way into more. You know, same thing with Kevin Ivey. You know, another three-star guy on the defensive line. Again, you know, it just comes down to having more options. But I think that's sort of priority number one is you know finding those guys to lock down those starting roles and then ensuring that those guys are as equipped as they can be to stop the run primarily. Yeah, if they if they go from six three to five, that's still ninth in conference, but a yard and a yard and a third or one point three yards per carry less allowed. Mm-hmm. That's gigantic. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like they ran. Like put it this way, they allowed four teams ran forty times against them a game. If they give up one less, like and it's two hundred fifty five yards a game. If it's one less yard per game, but the same amount of carries, that goes down to two fifteen yards per game. It's still not great. But it's forty fewer yards of moving on the team on the field. Like mm-hmm. ideally, get him around four-ish. But like, start with a basic goal of getting under five and a half yards of carry. Exactly. And but it's weird too. There maybe there's some scheme we're not seeing where they're moving. Like you mentioned, moving guys more of a defensive end, kind of farther further away from the actual running of the de- of teams running the ball up the middle up front. So maybe Coach Roy on DC has some up their sleeves. Like okay, they want to. The thing that could be is that. Think this way: How many defense linemen have a ton of sacks or nose tackles? Not many, or how many sacks? Mm-hmm. Usually, it's the linebackers' defensive ends. So maybe giving them that space gives them a running start. They can be more disruptive that way, and that could still help in the running game. Because if it's a hybrid type thing where instead of running a three-four, it's a four-three, or if it's a four-three, have a fifth guy in the lineup there, he could exactly. just step up and be a two-two-point stance to the three and give more, give a different look, and allow it to come from different angles while still basically. Being you're quicker to the two point stance or three point stance. You know what I mean? You blow past the tackle on the outside who has his hand in the ground. And that's where I'm really fascinated to see what defensive coordinator Peter Hansen does with women and plant because, you know, they, it was you know, a rough go overall for the defense last year. But one thing those two guys led the charge in that they did really well was rushing the quarterback. Did you realize they had an 8% sack rate last year? I did not know it was that high. And that ranks 27th nationally, which, you know, I would not have expected that. But I think that sort of speaks to, you know, the fact that, you know, Plant, you know, like Rogers uh, on, you know, the quarterback was a TCU transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know that we touched upon him that deeply in last year's preview, but, you know, he came out, he showed up, uh, you know, I think he had like, what, three and a half sacks and seven tackles for loss or something like that. You know, between him and Winman, who, you know, both of those guys look like potential rising stars. You know, they combined for eight and a half sacks. 
so if they can find, you know, maybe a little bit more elsewhere to keep, you know, offensive linemen from being able to kind of key on those two in particular and their protections, you know, now you've got something that you can build upon that ability to rush the passer. But it's sort of, it doesn't matter that much if you, if you're getting pushed around at the line of scrimmage, you know, running the football, which is, you know, sort of that kind of circular thing where you can't really maximize one without solving the other. Yeah, totally. So we mentioned running. What about the passing game, like the secondary position? Because when you look at, like, they gave up a point across the board. They gave up yards everywhere. There's no real area where they were ideal. Because even with the amount of yards per game they were giving up on the ground, the passing game was still just as bad, which is kind of weird. Like, the Mm -hmm. touchdowns were fine. There weren't many touchdowns because only six. But they were still giving up almost eight and a half yards per attempt. And still, like, teams would run and throw at a – a reasonable level 20 they didn't need to throw as much because they ran the ball so well but when they threw they were up there and allowing more than most yards per game you know most of the yards per play the t- it's the yards, yards per attempt same thing yards per play yards per yeah attempt. i but mean it was when, i mean good. when you look back at like who was actually seeing playing time back there last year it was a crash course for like a lot of new <laughs> contributors like you know they were starting two true freshmen at both corner starting cornerback positions for the majority of the year one of them, yeah. Sir Oliver Everett, ended up transferring. But, you know, the other one, Noel Williams, considering the trial by fire, you know, I would say that he held his own. You know, he broke up a couple passes. And, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily pay off with, like, a lot of turnovers, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, he was kind of thrown into the mix and be like, okay, figure this out. <laughs> you, know, you know, now you're going up against the, like, you know, Romeo Dubs and, and Jalen Cropper. Good luck. You know, he was he was pretty – I mean, he was okay. And I think, you know, for a true freshman in that kind of situation, that's really all you can ask for. Um, but they have him coming back, you know, Aaron Lewis, who's seen playing time over the last couple of years. He's back to, you know, Bryce Jackson is back at strong safety or excuse me, free safety. So they do have some contributors back. It's just a matter of, again, where, how much is normalcy just going to play a role in helping them be better prepared for whatever opponents want to throw at them this year? I think, you know, yeah, maybe, I see that a bit. I mean, I would, I would caution against saying they're going to regress all the way to the mean, but I think there's <laughs> a chance they could be like a little bit better because again, I think having most of their contributors coming back is going to help. Um, you know, they also have Trey Kane back in the mix. You know, they have again, some t- highly touted freshmen who could step up, you know, someone like Tyson player saw playing time all year long. So again, it's deeper all the way around. I'm not going to say it's not like a yellow flag, but it's the kind of thing where, you know, if they improve at least a little bit, nobody should be surprised. Well, they're going to, it's almost a given they have to. They're that bad out of the whole defense. Mm-hmm. So, like, they bring a guy from Colgate, Trey Kane. Like, is he going to come in and start and play a lot of minutes? Like, they're bringing anybody who wants to play. And so, it's also, that's also a slight concern. Like, with spring practice, it's fine. It's, or, or spring and fall, I guess. But, job because how bad they were last year mm-hmm. playing time or or you still may start but it's more of a reduced split type where you almost have co-starters where okay we're bringing this guy from usc we bring in this guy from colgate we bring in this guy from the mac or whatever conference or so you know what i mean just fcs you bring these guys in the, the reason they bring these guys in is because you weren't doing good enough and they want depth and they want to see what this guy has mm-hmm. so i wouldn't be surprised at the end of the season these 10 starters back there might be a hand a few a fewer that aren't starters by week 12 or something just yeah. because some of the 
shut, but that's what also helps with regular spring, regular fall. If you are transferring, come in and you can learn the system, not just being out there and hopefully it works well with a brand new coach and do everything. Yeah, they're a lot better prepared across the board on this side of the ball to weather, you know, injuries and, and kind of the, the, the ups and downs of a normal season in a way that they weren't last year. You know, like we, we didn't even mention other guys who were probably going to contribute, you know, like Farrell Hester, Vic Bermontis, um, you know, guys like that, LaShawn Bell, who was a former, you know, highly retired recruit. Same thing with Brennan Scott. You know, all those guys, even if they aren't starting right away, you know, they're in a position to contribute, you know, and not without necessarily the pressures of like having to take on so much all at once because they have veterans in front of them who are, you know, who finally have their feet under them after a whole yeah. year of unfamiliarity. Yeah, well, we'll see. It's going to be better, but also to giving up 38 points per game, just get down to like, <laughs> that's terrible. That's mm-hmm. so bad. Like, like national is probably, I mean, look it up really quick. That has to be one of the worst in the country, right? Thirty-eight yeah. points a game last year. Yeah, it was. Kansas was worse at forty-six. They were bottom yeah. at one. What They're going to be better. One thirteen. They're yeah. going to be better. The question is how much better. Like if they can get to thirty, that's a top hunt. Like Fresno State, real quick, was exactly at thirty points per game last year. Mm-hmm. And that was sixteenth in the country. Get get them to thirty points per game allowed, they might win an extra game or two. Mm-hmm. So eight points is a kind of lot to swing. I think that's over a touchdown per game, but it's it's a, here's the positive side. This sounds good, not to be negative. And, and me saying it can't be worse than last year is not a good thing to say. Like it's all the things we mentioned: the coaching staff having a full year, regular recruiting, regular spring, regular as most as you possibly can. Transfers coming for depth. All the starters coming back on defense. It's going to finally click to actually see the guys practice and not just uh, like number eight practice was their first day with pads in fall camp. Usually teams are in pads a little bit sooner than that. So well, the coaches can, can actually coach. So let, let me put this in context. So two years ago, 2019, they were 80th nationally in defensive points per drive allowed. Mm-hmm. You know, 2.46. I think that's a good goal to aspire to. Just get back yeah. to where you were. And I think that they have the personnel and they have the depth to do that. Yeah, because last year, just real quick, the same year points just for more per game is 30, 32-9. Yeah. So just be a touch better than that, and that's helpful. That gets you like to the top 80 de- the top eighty defense. Exactly. And going for, like we mentioned, San Diego State, if their offense can be just 10 or 15 spots higher, not that compare them to like just because their defense is elite, but getting 10 to 15 spots higher defensively in certain categories can go a long way. Exactly. All right, so special teams. What do we got for kickers, returners, punters? Do we have do you know who the long snapper is? Is this a good long snapping team, right? Yeah, Rex Gosen, <laughs> Patrick Manley Award watch list member. He hit the uh, tar- moving target in spring, right? Wasn't that's that him? True. That, that's impressive. I, I want to see more of that from the at UNLV football Twitter. That's what we're here for. That's but the kind of off-season content we live for. Exactly. Returning is going to be good with Kyle Williams back there. That's should be it's settled to be him. He's no obviously I was gonna say he's no safe on Scarver, but who the heck is? Safe on Scarver might be all time kick return touchdown leader if he gets a couple this season. But Kyle Williams, as we mentioned receiver earlier on before, is gonna be a pretty good job. He's gonna be the holding it down, kicking returning punts. Yeah, and I, you know the kicking game should be okay. You know, Daniel De Gutierrez has you know, more or less held his own over the last couple of years. You know, like he was only what uh 
you know, five of six last year, but he didn't get that many opportunities to, to hit kicks from range. But yeah. we've known he could do that in the past. And so I, I think he's sort of like a, a net asset overall. Um, even if he's not necessarily on like the, the Brandon Talton, John Hoyland level of kicker in the Mountain West. Um, I think there's also plenty of room for growth for, you know, the punter Charlton Butt. He was a true freshman last year, you know, net of 37 yards per punt, which, you know, isn't great, but I think that, you know, I've, I've, it sort of seems like, you know, freshman punters in particular, there's definitely a learning curve and, and room for growth, unless your name is Ryan Stonehouse. It seems like, you know, it seems like the kind of thing where, you know, they on, generally do, they do generally improve year over year. And so I would expect that he'll probably improve. Um, so I think, I mean, I think on the whole, they'll be okay. You know, and that was one of those things where they really benefited from, you know, I would say above average special teams in terms of like, you know, average starting field position. They were in the top 50 nationally on offense. And it would not surprise me if they were right around that range again, which, you know, for an offense that is, is looking for every edge it can get as it's sort of like, you know, rebuilding. You know, guys like, you know, Gutierrez, guys like, you know, call like, like Tyler Collins, guys like Williams can, can play a role in that. Okay. That's, that's a good point. See, it helps out because you get the yardage turned around. It helps everything out, right? Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. Are we ready for schedule? Let's do it. This schedule, as you heard me before, the overall record is not going to indicate the improvement they have this year. Yeah, so, and, it's, Apollo, and, I, and I, know, I know I've mentioned this on, on some podcast or another in the past, but it's that whole bit with that college football Twitter has where, and, and I think, you know, Split Zone Duo is famous for doing this every so often, is like looking at an opponent's or looking at a team's non-conference schedule and then asking why would they do that to themselves? You and, think that's where you, UNLV is? For this year, yeah. It is rough for a team that's in its position as sort of like an unofficial year zero. Um, because it I starts, can't right, away. It starts right away with Eastern Washington. And I, I can't remember who put it out there. You know, I saw this list of like the top potential FCS over FBS upsets um, out there for, for the taking in 2021. The Mountain West had like three different games on there, which, you know, when I was reading through it, I was like, yeah, I could see that. Um, this one was one of them. We, we talked, because, we talked about the list a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. Eastern Washington is no joke because they have the Walter Payton Award runner up and quarterback Eric Barriere. You know, they have, you know, a big play receiver in Tololo Limu Jones who had, you know, 48 catches, 759 yards, four touchdowns last year. Like it's yeah. a, it's an FCS playoff caliber team. 
that can that, that can definitely do some damage, especially on offense. Yeah, they were five and one in the Big Sky last year, um, and and so like this. The UNLV is going to get tested right away, and like I, I have this one down as a Rebel win, but um, I think it is fair to say that they are definitely on upset alert. Just remember one word, Howard. Yeah, <laughs> and it's different. Well, team and, and, but, but Eastern Washington is a better team than Howard too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like NCAA.com has as the of six potential Week One FCS over FBS. I mentioned Eastern Washington. Um, and and you know, one, night thing, one thing that I wrote about you know, when I did the first look at, the, at that Eagles team is the, the team that eventually knocked them out of the playoffs would, it was North Dakota State. And what North Dakota State does well is they run the football. And you know they put themselves <laughs> in a position to play you know play a possession type game, you know limit possessions, keep barrier and company off the field, and and maybe that's the kind of game plan that Arroyo is, is building towards you know with his offense. And so obviously we'll wait and see. But you know they're they're not going to have it easy in the same way that some other you know teams in the Mountain West are you know in their in their FCS games. Eastern Washington number eleven in the FCS coaches poll. Yeah, or preseason poll. I'm not sure it's coaches poll, but yeah. the preseason they're, they're going to be ready for that one. Yeah, yeah. So I have it to win too, but I'm not going to be. It's one of those games where if they lose, like well, not not going to surprise me all that yeah. much, right? No, no. All it right, but the rest of <laughs> yeah. Rest of our conference schedule at Arizona State, hosting Iowa State, going to UTSA. The Arizona State game, it's part of that home and home. They wanted the monster for Allegiant. Mm-hmm. ASU is interesting because they have three coaches on suspension right now with their massive yes, recruiting violations of being a bunch of dummies. <laughs> like, let's visit people on campus. Let's have videos of, like, the dumbest thing they did. Like, besides it being dumb, they had TVs on in their facilities. So you know what date and time it is. <laughs> like, there's a time when it was like March Madness was going on. And like, oh, the women's basketball game, the ESPN, oh, this was March 16th at 8.47 Pacific time. So it's like, they're a bunch of idiots having that on the background. It's like, uh, did you ever watch the show The Newsroom at all, Matt? Yes. Do you remember the one episode they're trying to film, like, film, do some interview with the guy about some huge war thing or weapon type deal? But the guy edited, it, but the guy in the background insisted on having March Madness on, and they saw the clock jump in the corner from like the shot clock to know the guy edited the video. So it's like a bunch of dummies. What they're doing? Like Arizona huh. State, besides that on campus, it's like that's kind of the same thing I thought of. That's, that's but a they deep have cut pop culture reference. I respect that right there. Hey, that's a very good show. I'm just saying, I try to remember what that was. I'm like, yeah, the guy's like, no, I need my basketball during the interview. But so if you guys get that, give you a virtual high five. <laughs> But Arizona State is going to be a good team. They are predicted second, or no, excuse me, third in the Pac, or yeah, third in the Pac-12 South, but tied with Utah for sixth first place votes behind USC. They're that team is kind of on the rise, but all these coaches are out for a while. It's not going to make a difference for me who wins or not, but it might make it a touch interesting if they're losing coaches and I don't know what type of the players are going to play. There's not going to be any player issues, but. There's still, overall, there's just too much talent on that team, but the recruiting thing is what stands out if their coaches are gone, position coaches. It's not their thing. Cause remember when San Jose State lost their bowl game, they had like three coaches out and it decimated them because mm-hmm. their coordinators well, Yeah, that was both of their offensive coordinators though. Yeah. Both of different. their coordinators. Excuse me. But, but during fall camp, when you're trying to get things going, that's a big deal. They miss out on three coaches. 
No, I, I get what you're saying, but I think you know, there's definitely a lot. There's definitely a talent advantage. Sundown is going to have. Totally. Yeah, they do have you know nice Jaden Daniels, who might be the best quarterback in the in the Pac-12. This side of Kevin Slovis, um, you know, they might have the conference's best cornerback in Chase Lucas. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've got a really explosive running back in Rashad White, who averaged. I didn't realize this until I was digging into this team. Averaged over 11 yards per play last year. Not bad. Not bad. He was he was like the, he was like the Romeo Dubs in the Pac-12. He had five plays that went for over 50 yards. Not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah they have. Uh, they're gonna win, but it's just some interesting to bring up. And so mm-hmm. their running game, like, yeah, his running attack itself was ten yards a carry. Just if, running the ball. If that wasn't rough enough, though, yeah. they, they follow Arizona State with Iowa State. Top ten playoff contender, Iowa State. Big Twelve contender, Iowa State. Yes. They, they hey, they host them at Legion Stadium. <laughs> That's true. There's going to be a lot of Cyclones fans at that game. Remember, we talked about they're making an extra direct flight from Ames to Las Vegas on Legion mm-hmm. to come to that game, even though I looked at Legion Air, but it's, it's, I'm sorry, it's trash. Like, oh, yes. like, oh, I, cause I was looking like, hey, they have new flights for me. I can go to Houston from Provo. It's really close to my house. I look at it. Okay. It's about $40 cheaper. Pay for this, pay for that. I'm like, no, I'll just fly Delta and pay $320 and I deal with this crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But stadium will be nice. It'll be almost like a uh, LA Chargers game, right? Two years ago, where it's eighty percent, eighty the other team all the time. Exactly. Right? <laughs> no kidding. That's what it seems like. But I always say, like, yeah, they're a top. What are they in the preseason? Really top ten, I think, in the coaches' well, poll. Uh, I forget where they were in the coaches' poll, but I would imagine they're probably, they're definitely going to be in the top ten when the AP poll drops tomorrow. We're recording on uh, uh, August sixteenth or fifteenth, excuse me. They were number eight in the AP poll, or some coaches poll, sandwiched between Notre Dame and North Carolina. Yeah, and and for good reasons too. Like they've got you know they've got an All American linebacker in Mike Rose. They've got maybe the best running back in the country in Brees Hall. Okay, uh, they've yeah. got you know they've got a, a one of the best tight ends in the country, Charlie Kolar. You know Will McDonald is an up and comer, set the program record for sacks last year with ten and a half. Um, would you even mention Brock Purdy, the quarterback, who was you know pretty good in his own right? So yeah, this I mean this this game's gonna be ugly. I hate to say it, but you know they're 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 catching this Iowa State team at exactly the wrong time. <laughs> just because they play Arizona State the week before? No, I'm just because the Iowa State's actually good, good. for once. Oh, oh, they're good for once. Because we made fun of them last year because they lost to Louisiana. They still got ranked super high. Yeah, yeah. Here's one. Here's one. One positive. They play. Is Iowa technically the rival? Yes. They, I'm just making sure some in-state stuff. They play Iowa the week before. Yes, yeah, the uh, the Cyhawk Trophy, That's or, or as as a certain segments of college football Twitter like to call it, El Asico. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's a few people out there that do that. Uh, but they play rival. I knew it was. I was just going to make sure I wasn't up on if it's how big it is. I know they have the trophy, Cyhawk, and everything. But that could be something. You know what I mean? If it's a tough game with Iowa, they don't care as much. At UNLV, then they have their conference opener the week after at Baylor. Probably not going to make a difference, but I'm just saying there's those type of things could make a difference a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I want to be optimistic. I feel like that's a bridge too far, though. <laughs> Defeat for Rebels, correct? Yeah, right. yeah. So the rest are not conference slate. Um, they have UTSA, who we've talked a little bit before. This is probably their most winnable outside of like obviously their next winnable game in non-conference play. But UTSA, as we discussed before, their team that's kind of always right there. And they're, I think they're good enough to um, 
beat UNLV. I'm like, I'm, there's no game on the schedule. I'm saying, yeah, UNLV has this. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of those games where it's like, can they win? Yeah. They're probably not going to win, but they could. Like, I, UTSA, it's on the road to San Antonio. They are actually, <laughs> I looked at the FPI. Do you want to guess what the FPI is for this game? The, the percentage? Which is clearly oh, in favor of UTSA. Take a guess. Come on, do it. Is it, like, is it like 85%? Oh my gosh! Right on, eighty-four point eight percent. Good job. Ooh, ooh, look at me. <laughs> You're not I Eli. Pro- You're I promise I did not have that tab open on my end. <laughs> well, I mean, but, but yeah. there's good there's good reason. Like a lot of a lot of people like the Roadrunners as a team to be like a serious Conference USA contender last year or this year, excuse me, because you know they finally looked like they were sort of turning the corner toward being a like a permanently pretty good Group of Five team, which is. You know, everybody seemed like they saw the potential in this program for like the last decade and they just never really put it all together. So, you know, they get brought in the new head coach last year, Jeff Trailer. He went seven and five. They played tough against the best teams on their schedule. You know, they lost to, to Alabama, Birmingham, BYU, and Louisiana by one score each. Um, and then, you know, heading into this fall, the only team in Conference USA that's bringing back more production is Florida Atlantic. You know, they're, Picked second in the in the West Division, and honestly, like it strikes me as the kind of team where like UNLV fans who are watching this game, this is sort of indicative of the future. I think that they want to have for themselves. Like the Roadrunners aren't the same kind of team that I would imagine UNLV is you know going to envision themselves to be. But you know, we we mentioned Brees Hall as maybe like the best running back in the in the in the in the college football. Um, the Roadrunners also have a really good run back in their own right. Oh, yeah. Who might, who might be the best in the group of five in Sincere McCormick. Um, All-American last year, almost 1,500 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, you know, 20 receptions out of the backfield. Um, Six you yards know, all, carry. <laughs> yeah, All-American punter in Lewis Dean, Lucas Dean, excuse me. Um, you know, all-conference safety in Rashad Winston. So they've got... Frank Harris, don't forget Frank Harris, QB, swinging the ball. Frank Harris, he's pretty good in his own right. But he's he's also getting pushed for the QB1 job right now from by uh, former New Mexico State guy, Josh Adkins. Okay, there's that. Yeah, he played with Josh Adkins, played a little bit last year. But yeah, Harris had 12 TDs, six picks, whatever. And well, how many games did they play last year? Do you know 12, I think? Uh, 10? I can't remember how much did they play. They played seven, they were seven and five, so they played 12 games. Okay, so full schedule. So, but regardless, let's look through because numbers are skewy. So 12 TDs is just okay. But 64% completion rate, only sacked about once a game. Offensive line has a slight concern after that because he didn't play the full season by himself. But if UNLV's defense, rush, special rush defense is not great, just give it to McCormick and it's old, game over, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why it's another loss for UNLV. So, so what about this conference schedule then? Uh, um, it's... Not good because when they play the opposite, side, here's here's what I'm going with. The games they have that they can likely win a conference play, they have, in my opinion, probably two: Utah State and out New Mexico. Everything else, like they go to Fresno State, sandwiched between Iowa State, UTSA. Too much offense. Fresno State has San Jose State, same thing. Too much offense, even though the running game may not be as lead as other teams. To, Nick Starkle throwing the ball too much. Clearly Nevada, everything they have, no. Hawaii, they don't run the ball well, so maybe, but that's at home. That's a slight chance. But like, San Diego State crush them on the ground. Air Force crush them on the ground. Those two games, Aggies and Lobos, one's home, one's on the road, those are the only two games I think they can might win in league play. 
and I'm not sure if they'll do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have been going winless at conference play too, just to kind of to not beat around the bush. But I think it's worth mentioning, you know, the, the fact that, you know, they aren't going to be hopeless this year. And so, oh, like, I, 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 I feel like I'm going to be wrong about them going 0-8 in Mountain West play. And so. know, when I wrote last month about, you know, the FP plus, the F plus projections that came out in the Football Outsiders Almanac, you know, to, to kind of our conversation, UNLV's only given a 9% chance by F plus to go winless in conference play. Their best projected conference record is actually either one and seven or two and six. They have a 32% chance at both. And so okay. I think that sort of what you're sort of speaking to is this, you know, if they steal a winner two in conference play, who is it most likely to be against? At home, Utah State, I'm guessing. Just because okay. it's a well, I'm, I'm just asking for your opinion. I'm not, I mean, these aren't definitive answers, obviously. Well, if I'm going for talent, it'd be at New Mexico. But no, I'll say New Mexico is more likely than Utah State. Okay. What about you? Would it be a bridge too far if I said Hawaii? No, because I looked at the SP Plus, that's their third most likely win. That's true, too. And I think because the lack of running game, pending what Calvin Turner turns out to be and whoever else they have, if it's – and Shaman Cordero is not necessarily the most – he's not Cole McDonald in wildness, but he's not too far off either. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned receiving wasn't that – catching wasn't great because – who is it? Jared Smart wasn't, he's good, but it wasn't amazing when he was a couple years ago, never took the next step. But no, I think that's a perfectly reasonable answer to be the next team in line for them to possibly beat. Will it happen? I'm going to say no, but I'm not, that's a game where it's more likely than at Air Force or at Nevada by far. I mean, their home slate in particular, I mean, it's not the, it's not the easiest home slate, but you know, Utah State, San Jose State, Hawaii, San Diego State, like none of those are like no chancers, right? I say no chance. Like, yeah. I mean, if if I, and I, I I throw San Jose State in there just because you know obviously they're defending conference champions, they're going to have a really good defense, but there's still sort of sort of lingering questions about their offense in particular. Yeah, and so I'm thinking, I'm thinking like it. in general, if UNLV is going to steal some wins in conference play and ruin someone else's season. I think they are most likely to get to do it against teams that have some kind of like really pressing question about their offense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and so like, so like if Utah. San Jose State isn't quite as explosive in the passing game or if San Diego State can't get their quarterback situation figured out or if Hawaii is still sort of hit or miss as far as, you know, creating their own explosive plays in the passing game, you know, I'm not, I mean, I, I don't think that they are likely. But like if you said if you like what is, what is the what are the win probably like twenty twenty five percent like that's like one in five which yeah one in four yeah would, that sounds about right to be honest like especially if if UNLV is we're expecting them to be improved if another team is sleepwalking or just has a bad Saturday then UNLV can definitely beat a team or two yeah I I think they're getting to the point where they're not going to get blown out like last year. No. Gonna, they need a lot of one position lost games to be hopeful, but to really be hopeful, they need they do need to get a win or two. But you're right, like if we look at what the worst part of their defense was running the ball, San Jose State's running the game not consistent. 
You look at San Diego State, who does run the ball well. What if Greg Bell gets free? In the past couple of years, they can't stay healthy because the offensive line hasn't been good enough. And combine that with the poor quarterback play, not, whatever Utah, quarterback Utah plays. Utah State's also to be determined, sort of. Yeah, yeah, them too. Like, New Mexico, just because overall talent's not quite there. Like, yeah, there's there's holes to be poked. For, well, there's ways where you could kind of stretch the imagination to see where, and not even super far, that they could get a win against these teams. Odds of them going 1-11, losing 10 straight, unlikely. However, they lost all six games last year by double-digit points. But they're going to be better overall. And I think you're right, like the, like we kind of mentioned, like if they're, like the pass defense will get better as well, I think. But if there's an area where there's a severe deficiency, they have a chance to sneak up and, because to sneak up and get a victory. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be probably at home, and it's going to be like you mentioned, maybe, like the teams you mentioned. There's an issue. Utah State's up there for sure because their new coach knew everything. New Mexico on the road clearly, but you mentioned San Jose State. I said they don't run the ball extremely well. Maybe Tyler Evans will do something different. Hawaii, we'll see if their Calvin Turner's going to be the running back or if it has to be somebody new. As you mentioned, Aztecs quarterback play is not good. Run, they've been in, injury prone at running the ball the past couple of years. So there's ways to look where they could get a couple of wins. Like I have them one and eleven as you do as well. But there's like if I'm going to go like best case, it might be still only three wins. That sounds about Maybe. right. Like I I have one and eleven, but I honestly don't feel great about it because this is going to be a really interesting team to watch. So like if you're tempted if you're tempted to write off UNLV as like well they're going to be UNLV, <laughs> then you know I would beseech you to at least you know give them, give them a chance. Especially once conference play rolls around. Yeah. I got it. anything else we need to add here? I did, I just want to see if the QB play comes out to be a little bit too. If Brumfield is that good or if it's Rogers, so Yeah. I mean any, I think any, any other parting shots about the Rebels? No, I think we're good. Let's see what see how many fans show up for these games, right? That's what I'm interested about as well over Allegiant. The shiny That's new stadium. True. I mean I think I think Marcus Royal is building something out there in Vegas. And so yeah, I think it's worth, it's worth keeping an eye on in my opinion. Back-to-back top three recruiting classes in the conference. Decent transfers coming in just now. It's like this year is going to be the year where just be competitive and don't lose as bad and still a game or two. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot. It's like with um, – oh, I forget the team we talked recently about. Like New Mexico. Like most of the games last year were very close. And they got the couple wins at the end. They had multiple games where they're like within 10 points outside exactly. of having their worst game. And so if, if they do what New Mexico did last year, that would be pretty good. Very close, close, close to most of the games, and want to get a couple games not supposed to. Even if they're three and nine, and build off of that. So, all right. So this is our final preview of the season. Check it out, mwr.com. All written stuff. Matt's been carrying the load for everybody, doing a great job of writing all these things. Doing my best. We have, anyway, yeah, you're doing a great job. I, I, I said, folks, I need to do more things, but we're getting there. Um, we're gonna have our. We're gonna kind of do something a bit different for our big preview. I think we're gonna do it middle. I don't know. It's going to be in a couple of days, but most likely it's not going to be on the Sunday because we want time to breathe and people listen to it. We're going to do some bold predictions, get some actual official picks on the record. Me and Matt, uh, Matt writes this stuff in pen, but I may make some changes to my uh, picks just because if you listen closely, I somehow, even though I, I hype up Nevada, somehow I have Fresno State winning the West Division at the moment, and that's probably going to be changing. I, so, I fail to see the problem with that, to be honest. I, I Yes, you totally see the You're totally fine with that. But are you making any changes to your picks or are you done with what you have? No. I mean, unless something changes is like, you know, injury wise with fall camps in the next week or so, I'm sticking with what I have. 
So unless there's a Donald Hammond situation, you're not doing anything. No. Okay. I think maybe we can tweak here or there, but we'll have some staff picks doing all sorts of stuff. So it'll be fun. We'll do some like best games of the week stuff like that. Probably be a longer show. Maybe we'll cut up in two. We'll see. But yeah, check it out. Spotify, rate, review, do all that fun stuff. Just tell us, tell us how you like us or what we can do better. We had one guy on Twitter today, Matt, say, give us some more Wyoming coverage. Wyoming coverage. I'm like, all right, we'll do our best. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. football season's on our doorstep. Now's as good a time as any to say, uh, if you are interested in writing for MWWire.com, inquire within. Hit us up in the DMs on Twitter at MWCWire. Do that. We may have, we have a couple other guys hopping in. We have a uh, San Jose State, Hawaii, so a couple things like that. So it's definitely not intentional. It's, um, it, it, people need time to do this. It's a kind of a passion type fun stuff. But if you're interested, yeah, go to DMs and we can, we can work something out. So we'll be back next week or next show. I should ch- say check out the feed and we'll have more preseason stuff in week zero. What are we? Two weeks, two and a half weeks away? More or less. Yeah. Three, three weeks, I guess. Yeah. No, two weeks. No. Oh, holy crap, two weeks. Yes, we are very soon, two weeks away. All right, so we'll see you next time, and get ready, it's coming.